Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Truth Transmission. I'm your host, Jay Kettle. It is currently 7.07 here on the East Coast. We're broadcasting live out of uh, West Trent, New Jersey. Our official chat is located at uh, truthtransmission.com forward slash live. If you're listening on uh, Vaughn Live, ClickCam, and et cetera, et cetera, you can find our official chat there. And uh, this evening's guest is uh, Stefan Molyneux of Free Domain Radio, and he was uh, voted recently the uh, – you, you were one of the top ten uh, figures in alternative media. Yeah, I, I didn't even know this was going on, but somebody sent me the link, and uh, I am uh, catching up to David Icke, and I think that's that's the important place to be in alternative media. Catching up to David Icke? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's he's pretty big. He's pretty up there, I, I, I have to say. He sold a lot of books. Right. <laughs> so there are a couple topics that I wanted to, to, to run by tonight, and uh, I want to start off with the 2010 or excuse me 2012 what am i saying 2012 presidential race is going to be going on because of of course you know we have libertarian candidates and regular republican neoconservative nutjob <laughs> uh people that are going to be running and you know the democrats etc cetera, etc cetera. uh and obviously you're more of a of a right wing um philosopher because i would say that anarch anarchism or, or what you preach falls more to the right, I would say, than the would to, you know, liberal big government. I would say you're the opposite of that. So what are your thoughts on the uh, 2012 presidential candidates? And of course, Ron Paul's running in the, in the Republican primary, but what are your thoughts on the whole situation? Well, I must confess to, I only follow it through occasional perusings of John Stewart and The Daily Show, just because I think <laughs> he's, he's funny. <laughs> so uh, it, it is the usual cluster frack of hypocrisy and deceit, you know, and I, I would say with the exception of Ron Paul, uh, who is taking a pretty principled position, and of course, a lot of his principles, I'm sure you and I would agree with, and um, some of them certainly I would not agree with, but um, I haven't been following it hugely because it just seems... I, I don't know if it's because I'm older and therefore have experienced more and maybe I'm a little bit more cynical in some ways, but it seems nuttier than it used to be. I mean, Michelle Bachman seems nuttier than Hillary Clinton. I mean, this husband of hers who apparently has allegedly run some sort of cure your gay teenagers through the love of Jesus kind of thing, which doesn't seem to me quite the right approach to yeah, right? man love. But anyway, um, it it just seems... It just seems kind of nutty, the whole field, and the, the, the religiosity of the candidates. I mean, Rick Perry with these, these prayers, and uh, they just seem, and, and this rejection of evolution that's front and center for a lot of these candidates, uh, it just seems, I, I think I used to classify myself as leaning a little bit more towards the right, but that's only because I didn't really notice the undercurrent of religious fundamentalism that is so common among sort of fiscal conservatives and and um, Republicans, I, I I find in a weird way I have equal sympathy to many of the Republican arguments and to many of the Democratic uh, the, the Democrat arguments. So uh, I don't like the, um, uh, the 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 religious fundamentalism. I don't like the rejection of certain aspects of science or a lot of science that seems to go on. I don't like some of the homophobia that seems to run through some of the fundamentalist Christian side. But on the other hand, I at least like some of their talk about fiscal responsibility, even if they never quite seem to be able to achieve it. On the other hand, uh, with, with the left, I, I appreciate their criticisms of big corporations. I share most of those criticisms. Corporations are monstrous beasts created for and maintained by the state in order to create privilege for the rich in return for which they get donations from the rich to maintain their political control. So I think some of those criticisms uh, are great. But uh, at the same time, there's this veneration of the public sector, which, of course, is where they get uh, on the left most of their political donations. This is true here in Canada as it is in the United States. So, And, and of course, they are uh, for a sort of soft socialism. Uh, I love their critiques of the war, uh, and I don't like the militarism of the right-wing Republican Party. So uh, it's... Um, it's hard to choose, you know, which flavor of crap you want in your sandwich. Uh, so that's why I try and stay away from the buffet uh, as a whole. Well, one of the um, – you, you mentioned Michelle Bachman, and I've watched uh, some of her videos. And this woman is about as stupid as you get. I, 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 now, I'm, I'm not religious. I think that religion is a bane on society. I take a very Richard Dawkins approach to that. 
realm of things. I think that it's it's just it, it's not good. And this woman sort of you know gays are the devil, and you know we we need to uh, cure them of their homosexuality and things like that. And and it's almost comical because we live in the 21st century. Um, I think that in many other countries we all sort of view each other as humans and. Yet these people are not equal to you, and people are going to vote for this woman too, which is the bad part. Americans are going to vote for her. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, Jesus seemed pretty dewy-eyed, and you had 12 guys uh, hanging around uh, commando with each other, unmarried. Uh, I don't know. It just, it seems, it seems like, a, well, of course, the, the, I mean, the fundamental problem with, with Christianity and homosexuality, and this is true for most of the major religions, is that there's this perception that man is made in God's image. And so if there's any deviation among men, and one of the most significant deviations, uh, and this doesn't mean deviant, just, just means sort of deviations uh, for our masculinity is heterosexuality versus homosexuality. And I think that's one of the reasons why there is this primitive response. So, you know, if there are gay men and, and straight men and man is created in God's image, then God has to be either gay or straight. And if he's straight, then gay is bad. And if he's gay, well, we can't think about that <laughs> at all. Uh, so I do think that um, there there is a problem. Of course, a lot of the ethics in the Bible are inherited from you know sun-baked Bedouin lunatics from thousands of years ago uh, who thought that epilepsy was a sign of infestation by demons. I mean, and so uh, homosexuality would not be something that would be understood biologically or or from an evolutionary standpoint. So there is this sort of fear and rejection of it, and I think it's uh, it's just it's genuinely it's genuinely tragic. I mean, there's nothing broken or wrong about uh, gay men and gay women. I think they're fantastic. I, they're great additions to the culture. I went to theater school for a couple of years, so I had uh, and some friends who were uh, either gay or coming out of the closet at the time and, you know, wonderful, sensitive, intelligent, creative human beings, uh, fully uh, worthy of everyone's respect in the world, particularly for the challenges that they go through based upon the after effects of the Judeo-Christian culture. So, uh, I do sort of look this like it's looking through a lens of highly quaffed medievalism strolling up to the platform. That's my concern. And it's funny because prior to the advent of Judeo-Christian culture into Europe and, of course, other parts of the world, when you look at Greece or Rome or any, or, I mean, most other parts of that of, of, of the Mediterranean world, it was very accepted. Uh, you know, in Sparta, the most manly of men, uh, their lovers were not their wives. It was their friends. It was their male counterparts. And uh, in, in Athens... Uh, teachers used to take young student boys as their, you know, in, in exchange for their knowledge. And then, of course, Judaism and Christianity come along and say this is no longer okay. You know, men can no longer love men. And then you have people like Michelle Bachman in 2012 uh, and Mitt Romney say, you know, running on the platform that we're going to keep marriage sacred. But by whose standards? Yours? Not by Yeah, and I mean, uh, even Ron Paul, who has uh, a lot of, so I think, some commendable flexibility in this issue, uh, has some question, uh, you know, he says it's okay for the states to, to define marriage as that between a man and a woman, but I, although he says that's in the current context and he would ideally like the government out of the marriage business altogether, which I think I, I would support, but it's it's a challenge, you know, I mean, <clears throat> and it's a challenge on the right, it's a challenge on the left. I was just reading up here in Canada that the um, there's an election coming up here, and the uh, teachers' unions have dinged all of their members for, I think it was 65 bucks or something like that. And that gives them a couple of million dollars of a sort of war chest for uh, the political campaigns that are coming up. Now, any politician, of course, who's got any brains at all, and I think politicians, they may not be good, but they ain't dumb. They know that if they say anything negative about public school teachers, about tenure, about benefits, about summers off, if they attempt to reform or change the system in any way that is considered negative by the teachers or their unions, that they're going to have a couple of million bucks worth of negative ads uh, shown against them. And so uh, on the left, there is that same issue of being held hostage by a particular constituency. On the right, it has a lot to do with the evangelical Christians. On the left, it has a lot to do with the unjust recipients of state goodies in the form of uh, public sector unions. So, you know, you, you, you kick over these scorpions at your peril as a politician. That really narrows and limits the debate to that which is inoffensive, you know, like rah-rah America and let's build a bridge to the shining city of the 21st century and all these poetical, nonsensical, empty-headed, carbonated metaphors that mean nothing to anyone. Uh, you can talk about that kind of stuff. But the moment you start to talk about anything specific, you're toast. Like you can talk about cutting government in general, but the moment you start talking about cutting 
particularly large programs in particular, uh, you're going to be toast because you're going to rouse all of the negative or attack ads that can come out of those special interest groups. So to me, it's just it's an exercise in, in blandness. I think that the, the political process as a whole is akin to, you know, like pickpockets. They work in two usually, right? So one guy will bump into you and then the other guy will pick your pocket. And so while you're being jostled, your pocket gets picked. To me, the the media and the election and the, the politicians and the glitz and the balloons and the songs and the stump speeches and so on, they are the guy who bumps into you and then the government is the guy who actually picks your pocket. And so I, I try to keep my eye on my wallet and uh, avoid the, the <laughs> lumbering elephants and donkeys trying to bump into me. Well, sure. And the other thing is that we have a lot of people in uh... – and I, and I don't, I don't know, let's say the South and the Midwest. I mean, I would say the Northeast is a, is a very educated area, at least for the most part. And not so many people in this area are as blinded by this blind patriotism as they are in some other parts of the country. So you also have the issue of all these people waving the American flag, um, you know, and, 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 and saying our government is doing the right thing all the time. And, you know, and they are just completely blind to the fact that their pocket is being picked. Well, sorry, let me just say, I don't mean to interrupt you, uh, but uh, I just read something recently that I'm going to release as a podcast that w what would be your guess as to the percentage of Americans who feel that the powers of the federal government uh, are legitimately uh, derived from the consent of the governed? Um, hmm. 30%, 40%? 19. Wow. Less then one-fifth of the population believes that the federal government is, is justified in its powers and then that those powers come from the people or, or from the consent of the people. Less than one in five Americans. So, uh, I look, I, I agree with you. that I mean, there, there still are, of course, a lot of uh, uh, fist-pounding, flag-waving, white picket fence-jumping people out there, uh, you know, praising this. But, I mean, the amount of, of cynicism, the amount of crap that people have been force-fed, uh, particularly over the past three years, you know, since, since 2007, 2008, since we see people being turfed out of their homes despite the fact that nobody seems to have clear title, when we see people who've paid off their homes in, or bought their homes in cash getting kicked out of their homes, when you see returning veterans getting kicked out of their homes, and when you see bankers swallowing like like a boa constrictor mouthing an antelope, swallowing these enormous bailouts at the huge expense of the citizenry and of the future. I think that the amount of popular resentment, which you saw boiling over in England recently, the amount of popular resentment that is out there, the amount of cynicism, disgust, and revulsion towards the state, uh, I, I think I, I've never seen anything like it, but it's extraordinarily powerful. And the riots in England were pretty bad. And, of course, we have a rising debt here in the United States, and that sort of brings me to my next question. First of all, is it going to get any better? Because it doesn't really feel like it to me. To be honest with you, Stefan, I'm thinking about becoming an expatriate and moving to South America uh, yep. because I, I, I'm done with it. And, and especially if anybody like Michelle Bachman or Mitt Romney gets elected to the government in 2012, I have a planned vacation next year for South America and uh, depending on the results of the election, I'm going to either stay down there and buy a house or come back to the U.S. I, is it going to get better? Is it, I mean, you know, is anything going to happen here? Or are we just going to be sort of wallowing on our own shit for the next couple of years? Oh, it's, it's more than a couple of years. I mean, Japan is now entering its, I think it's close to its third decade of recession since its housing market crash. It's, you know, Jake, it's a, it's a pretty painful subject for me because I, I mean, I think like most people, I love or loved the idea of America, you know, like a small government, uh, uh, a locally involved citizen, uh, citizenry, uh, charities helping out people in a, in a private context and uh, isolationism not getting wrapped up and entangled in the blood-soaked octopus fangs of worldwide conflicts. I just, I loved the idea of a free America and by God, ever since 2001, and it's been accelerating, it feels even more now. Uh, it has just been watching a loved one go through a blender in a slow, screeching, banshee wail of agony. So I find it extraordinarily painful to watch what is happening to America, and I find it quite painful to see what is happening to, to Europe as well. I mean, it is uh, The Death of the West. It's, it's a show series I did about 18 months ago, I think. And uh, of course, I did Statism is Dead as a Philosophy a couple of years ago, and 
I think it was about five years ago I said it's going to be five to 15 years that we're going to see the real unraveling. I feel that that's very much on schedule. I said that when Obama went in, there was going to be nothing more than an expansion of state powers, and he was going to keep none of his fundamental promises. And in fact, he was going to enact the exact opposite policies that he had spoken about, all of which has come true. Not because I'm any kind of genius, it's just that you don't need to be a genius to say that somebody who's a terminally addicted to heroin is not going to get any better before they die. But uh, the system has far gone beyond the point of uh, slowdown or return. And so the future, uh, certainly in the in the sort of three to five to seven year window, looks pretty damn grim indeed. And that's unfortunate because a lot of people who are now in their old age remember the days of, of literally the white picket fence America with the house and the dog and you could be a janitor at a school and put two kids through college and uh, have a you know have money for retirement but the generation that I'm in and the generation that uh, that is you know uh, coming after me um, you know kids who are in middle school now and things like that they're gonna have it even harder of a time now do you think that this is simply going to affect the United States or and 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 larger countries because let's say I do move to Ecuador or I do move to some South American country will I still be hit there will I still be affected uh, in the same way that I would here no, no, certainly not in the same way that you would hear. I mean, in, in South America, they have an enormous skepticism and and hatred of government already. I mean, these countries went through, I mean, it had a lot to do with American foreign policy, which we don't have to get into much detail here. But I mean, these countries went through uh, astoundingly destructive times in the 70s and the 80s. And um, they went through hyperinflation, they went through currency collapses. I mean, they they just they view government as a, a necessary evil that you have to live with and you can form as little as humanly possible. They're sort of a fast forward, uh, a post-economic collapse of the view that Americans are going to have towards their government. But um, uh, So it's, it's going to affect you for sure. It's certainly not going to affect you as much. But I think it's also important to remember that um, in America, as is true throughout the West as a whole, there is, I mean, there are three basic classes. There are the productive classes, rapidly diminishing. There are the parasitical classes, uh, and this includes corporations all the way down to people on welfare. And there are the political classes, the ruling classes. And the ruling classes are not stupid. Uh, they, you know, boy, if they were, wouldn't we be even dumber for being ruled by them? <laughs> I'm going to ascribe to them astonishing feats of intellectual brilliance, because otherwise it's just too damn humiliating. But... Um, <laughs> They are not dumb, and they know that they have taken from the productive classes in order to buy votes from the dependent classes too much, too hard, too deep, and too long. So when they start running out of money, they are simply going to use all their rhetorical talents, and they are going to, of course, bring the uh, mainstream media right along with them and they're going to start talking about the necessity for shared sacrifice. And they're going to talk about battling the demon of debt. And they're going to talk about, you know, this is the, this is the new war. It's not the war on terror. It's the war on error. It's the war on debt. It's the war on, on um, dependency. And there's going to be all kinds of tough talking stuff out there about how we need to double up and eat cat food and, and make sacrifices to save. Now they're going to be all about the children. Oh, the poor children. We've got to save the economy of the children. And they're going to whip people into a self-sacrificing frenzy. Uh, and that's going to diminish um, – all of that's going to be to diminish the payments uh, and the protections to the dependent classes. And they are going to liberalize things for the productive classes. Uh, I, I don't, it's not, to me, it's not going to be sort of like end of Atlas Shrugged situation where the whole world's going up in flames. There's simply going to be a readjustment. This ruling structure of society has lasted, you could really argue, since the formation of the agricultural revolution 10,000 years ago. It is not going to end in five years. They are simply going to adapt. And they're going to adapt by freeing up the productive classes and screwing the dependent classes. And then everyone is going to blame the free market. That's <laughs> sadly inevitable. Well, isn't that what always happens? They blame it on the free market? Sure, of course. I mean, absolutely. I mean, this is the genius of inventing the sort of middle class and the shopkeepers and so on is that when the prices go up, people don't phone their congressman. Uh, they, they get mad at the shopkeeper. They, this is buffer, right? This distractible uh, scapegoat that people can pretend is the, is the cause or source of their problems. When you get fired because of some really crappy government policy, you don't f write a letter to Obama. You get really mad at the guy who fired you. And then you get really mad at the poor Chinese worker who, uh, quote, underbid you without ever wondering how it's possible for somebody in a foreign country to underbid you or why 
if and why underbidding you simply doesn't open up even more economic opportunities since the division of labor and getting stuff cheaper is supposed to make the economy grow, at least according to all rational methodologies of economics that I've ever heard about. But you get mad at the guy who fired you or you get mad at the other Chinese worker. It's just a great way of distracting people from the real issues. Um, now, the, the other thing that I think is also contributing to this is that people are getting dumber and dumber, and that's part of the failed education system that I want to talk about next, uh, which I know that you like to talk about the education system. Uh, now, you, now, I saw an article that's been floating around, and I know that I shared it on Facebook about the psychology of uh, students and how they're trapped in sort of a prison-like setting in these schools they're in now. And it's not just public education, it's private education, too. Even if you send your child to a private school, he, I mean, he's still stuck in a prison, basically. You're, you're, you know, it's somewhere where you sit for eight hours a day and you're pounded by government-approved bullshit uh, until you, you want to throw yourself out the second-story window. And I went through it. I'm sure you went through it. I know that most people who are watching us went through it. Uh, so why, why is it that they make these schools like prisons? Why is it that, uh, that, our, that our education system is failing? Why is it that we're so far behind in, in areas like philosophy, science? Man, I mean, Japan is blowing us out of the water. We, we cannot compete with their scientists. I mean, their scientists are brilliant. So, I mean, wh why is this happening? Why is the education system, to put it, uh, you know, blatantly, why does it blow? <laughs> <laughs> well, it blows because it sucks. <laughs> it, um, <laughs> I mean, there was, a, there was a big change, which I think has gone under-reported or under-recognized uh, in the 1960s when teachers after, of course, teachers' unions after many years of striving for this, gained tenure, gained the inability to a fundamental inability to be fired. I'm sure you've heard of these rubber rooms in New York where these teachers who have uh, done just wretched things to students uh, are sitting there at a cost of about $100 million a year just sitting there for eight hours a day doing nothing because they can't be fired. They got full benefits, full salary. They sit there for eight hours a day or six hours a day doing nothing because they can't be fired. And like one out of 53 doctors loses their license, one out of 90-odd lawyers loses their license. I think it's one out of 2,500 teachers will ever lose their license. And so what happened in the 1960s was teachers, you just, you couldn't get fired anymore. And it is just an inevitable fact of human nature that when you do not face risk, you do not strive. I mean, this uh, expecting teachers to strive for excellence in the existing communist, is a communist system, is like expecting the average Soviet worker in 1960s Stalinist Russia to work his fingers to the bone trying to become an entrepreneur. These things don't happen. Human beings respond to incentives, and they respond to disincentives. And so teachers could no longer be fired. Not only did that make the quality of teaching for long-term teachers go down, though there were still exceptions, but it meant that a whole different kind of person came into the fray. You know, it's, it's looking at who wants to go to Silicon Valley to start a, a software company versus who wants to go and work at the post office. Well, if you turn a remotely free market system into the post office, which is what kind of happened when you couldn't fire teachers anymore. It changes the whole culture. It changes the whole structure. It draws an entirely different kind of person into becoming a teacher. And the price of that has been paid. The reason that the school system sucks is very simple and it's very basic and everybody knows it and nobody will talk about it. It's because the children are not customers and the parents are not customers. The children are not customers and the parents are not customers. A recent head of the uh, American Teachers Union said, the moment the children start paying union dues, basically I'll give a shit about what they want. And that is the reality. The system harvests children, it kidnaps children, it collects children, and that benefits the state because it frees the mothers to go out and, and get go to work and get taxed. It benefits the people who uh, are crappy teachers and don't want to get fired. It benefits the whole uh, layer of, of corrupt bureaucracy at the top of these teachers unions, and it benefits particularly the Democratic politicians who get millions and millions of dollars in campaign donations to maintain the status quo. What is absent is the choice of parents and the choice of children. And until that is rectified, everything else is simply going to be uh, moving chess pieces around squares rather than getting to a new game. Well, basically what your options are in the current system, and I know it's like this in New Jersey, you can go to free public school and the public school in my town, I live in, um, I live in a suburb of a large city, and the city that I live next to is not, is, has a lot of crime. But our neighborhood is nice. What happens is, is that there's a huge influx of people from the city who say, I live with my aunt, and we're going to go to this school here. So now they're not living with their aunt, they're coming from the city. So this school here is, it has gone way down, and you have a couple of options. You can send your child to Ewing High, you can send them to Hun, uh, Lawrenceville, or 
um, or you know, pep, uh, you know, petty or whatever, and those schools all cost thirty to sixty thousand dollars a year. Now, how Oof. many people can afford that? How many how, how many parents can afford a school that costs thirty thousand dollars a year? Basically, if your father is not on the payroll of Philip Morris USA or Lockheed and Martin, you ain't going there. You know? Yeah. So I mean, the choice is so little. Oh, uh, it's. Uh... I genuinely believe that in the future they're going to look back and wonder in our society where the hell was our love for our children as a, as a collective. Of course, individual parents, um, most of them, I think, love their children. But but as as a collective, as a society, you know, if you've ever watched uh, some of the documentaries on education, I think the most recent one is Waiting for Superman. I mean, it's 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 unbelievably heartbreaking to see the desperation that these parents have, that their children are going to get any kind of decent damn education. And the amount that John Stossel had a, a, a series on education where they took some kid that had been in public school system for, I think, close on a decade and had learned virtually nothing, and they took him to, I think it was a Sylvan or some sort of private mentoring or tutoring service where, you know, in a couple of weeks he learned how to read fluently and write better. And, I mean, the, the amount of destruction of, of, of the mind, of the body, of the spirit, that is going on in these schools. I mean, it is it is a howl of a completely blighted present and a completely destroyed future that is rising from the ashes of these human brain-melting furnaces. And we simply won't address this as a society. The only thing that we've been we've managed to oh, this is this is what we call progress in discussions about the state is at least people are saying more money isn't what is needed because the amount of money that's spent on students is so ridiculously high that people at least at least that has stopped where it says okay we just get another couple of thousand dollars per student and we'll be fine i guess you could call that progress but until we as a society are going to love our children enough to the point where we're going to take on these bastards who run this system and and support the the the, the good teachers who want uh, a a free system you know what? What we reap with the young, we will. Uh, sorry, what we sow with the young, we will reap as we age. Well, the other thing is that we also have. Um, we encourage students go to college. Everybody get an education. It's what you need. You need to stay in the system for as long as you can. Now, everybody goes to college, right? In the '60s, not everybody went to college. You could go down down to the state and get a job without a college degree. Uh, you you could go down to De Laval as a weapons manufacturer around here and get a job without a college degree. If you wanted to be a scientist or a lawyer or a doctor, you went and got a degree. Now everybody gets a degree, okay? People get degrees in things like communications, which basically means get a bunch of frat boys party all weekend. And uh, and they come out, and okay, well now everybody has a college degree, right? Well that college degree is worth diddly squat because everybody has one. So are we really raising our standards by sending everybody, by continuing to, to put people through this? As opposed, and we also raise people in schools to be subservient to um, a boss or to the government and say, okay, well, we're going to work for someone as opposed to going out there and trying to start your own business, trying to be an entrepreneur or be a, a thinker or an innovator. No, 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 no. Schools, schools are designed to keep the poor from competing with the rich, right? Schools are designed, designed to castrate the brains of the poor because the poor will always undercut the rich. I mean, when I, when I first started, I, mean, I came from a really poor background. And when I started in the software field, I mean, the, I was making not that much money. It was all the money in the world. So I was completely happy to do that. You know, when I had to eat my own toenails and, and Cheetos and whatever I could find behind the couch when I was an entrepreneur, I was happy, just happy to be doing it. So you're going to be able to undercut the rich people. That's how capitalism is supposed to renew. It's how the free market is supposed to renew itself. But uh, so if you have achieved wealth, the first thing you want is a completely terrible system of education or miseducation or indoctrination or brain scrubbing erasure for the the poor particularly the poor and the young because they're lean they're hungry they're going to undercut you they're going to renew the system and they're going to threaten your profits so oh yeah it's just a way of keeping these kids locked in the basement of dependency and, and idiocy it's 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 unbelievable it is it is a genocide of the mind i, I don't think there are phrases strong enough that i could use to to describe my absolute outrage at what is done to the young and what was done to you and i as well i mean how much did we have to recover from all of these frontal lobotomies and and these called modern education I live with my parents. I'm trying to start a, 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 a international webcasting company. And you know what? If I got a wow, okay, that was a lot. Um, if 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 I have to live here for the next five years, and you know, in order for me to get the dream that I want, I'll do it. And I'm willing to put in that sort of dedication. But a lot of people are are taught not to do that. They're taught not to have that dedication, but to have dedication to making um, making David Rockefeller rich. 
and making, um, you know, uh, President Bush rich, et cetera, et cetera. They don't have that that sort of drive to make themselves wealthy and to make themselves successful and fulfilled. And the other thing is that we measure success based on how much money we make, not how happy you are. Well, and and what has fallen by the wayside is is on the job training. I mean, if if you want to say, let's say you go into communications, you want to uh, be a radio personality or something like that. Well, go work at a radio station. I mean, God, go learn the business that way. What the hell do you need to be in school for four years to do that, or or anything? I mean, if you want to be a writer, go write. Go, uh, you know, write to some writer and say, I'll go pick up your your groceries and your dry cleaning in exchange for writing lessons. Uh, I mean, and that way you get in, you get connections to an agent. There's like six million. I mean, did Brad Pitt have to go to? four years of acting school to land a role no he had to go to four years of tight ab sit-up school but that's a different story <laughs> but uh it's uh it's on the job training is the way it's going to go but of course on the job training has been killed by the unions uh, in the trades right i mean so now you want to be a plumber okay you don't have to go to college but you've got to be a, a plumber's bitch for what three five seven years i mean it's completely medieval uh, so many of the avenues for people to have reasonable incomes have been killed gutted american uh, manufacturing has been completely gutted and, and outsourced and that was the route where you could get to a middle class income uh, without going to college then you'd have the money to put your kids in college that's all been completely detonated uh, in most of the west and particularly in the united states and uh, so this this whole class of dependence people has arisen and this whole culture of dependency has arisen and there's no way to pay for it all and when that shite hits the fan uh, it's going to spatter pretty damn hard so what would you say is your solution to getting out of this sort of rut that we're in, especially with education? How do you get out of that? How do you go from a system that is completely falling apart? How do you go from a system where everybody's ingrained, go to public elementary school, public middle school, you know, if you can afford it, if you can afford $60,000 or 50, whatever thousand dollars a year, you get a private education, do it. But if not, and then go ahead to a university and pay another $10,000, $20,000 a year to get a degree that when you graduate, 3.1 million people in the United States can't find work after getting their college degree. Well, I mean, to be fair, the unemployment rate among college graduates is lower, significantly lower than, than in general, but I don't know if that's skewed towards race or whatever. But my, my solution is, is very simple. It's ridiculously simple, and uh, my, my solution is if you're going to have kids, stay home with them. Stay home with them. That solves so many social problems that there's really no way to describe it positively enough, right? So, uh, I mean, I've been a stay-at-home dad now for two, over two and a half years. Um, I love it, uh, and I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Stay home with your kids. Yeah, you have to make sacrifices. Yeah, you don't get as much money in the bank, although, you know, when you factor in, uh, you know, driving and an extra car and, and daycare and taxes and all that, it probably doesn't work out that dissimilar. But people sort of, they think nothing of taking a very low standard of living for four years to get a college degree. Well, why not have a lower standard of living for four years or five years or six years so you can raise your children? Now, you may find that you can make a, find a way to make that work so that you can not only stay home with your kids and educate them properly to begin with and give them all of that close bonding and fun and happiness and security that leads them to be happier and peaceful people as adults, you may find that there's a way to homeschool or to unschool them uh, or to find uh, something like the, uh, the Sudbury Valley schools where the children have, a four-year-old has the same vote as a principal and the, um, the teachers can be fired by the students uh, every year. Uh, and and they there's no curriculum there's no homework there's no classes there's no exams the, the children are just there to learn whatever they want to learn and the, the, this is the faculty is there to facilitate that if requested there's places and ways that you can go you can join up with other families to to get unschooling or at least homeschooling going so there's lots of ways that you get to me it's it's all about the kids it's all about the kids uh, most people don't have enough cogs left in their minds turning that you can hook any kind of rational argument in and reel anything, any conclusions into your boat. But uh, if, you can, if we can get the young, if we can get parents close to the young rather than shipping off to these daycares and seeing them for an hour or two a day, and if we can get people to stay home, we can get people to reject the existing public school system in, in favor of homeschooling or unschooling or alternative ways of educating, that to me is this slow process of brick by brick building a different future. And that's why, since that's what I genuinely believe and have lots of evidence will work, I'm less interested in who's talking what on some podium with balloons behind them for an election. Now, another uh, another thing that I, have, that I have to point out is that 
homeschooling has also got a very bad rap, mostly because of evangelical Christians. Most most of the children who are homeschooled in the United States are homeschooled by their parents who are evangelical Christians, and they teach them things like evolution is not real, and uh, you know. Yeah, but uh, sorry, still their their math comprehension, their reading comprehension is still vastly above what it is in public school. So uh, at least see, I mean, the, and and I have more sympathy in some ways with evangelical Christians teaching their children than I do with public school education because at least evangelical Christians are teaching their children some values. I don't agree with those a lot of those values. I certainly don't agree with the source of those values, but the problem, I mean, one of the reasons why public school is so boring is it's so irrelevant. The reason it's so irrelevant is you can't teach anything that is interesting to children, that has relevance, that is going to have an effect on their life because the moment you do that, there's going to be 10, 20, 30 teachers, uh, stu uh, parents rushing into the principal's office claiming to be enormously offended at what it is you're teaching their children because it conflicts with the values they're trying to teach at home. You've got all these different cultures, all these different religions and atheists and agnostics and, and uh, all putting their kids into public school, which means you can't touch any fundamental subject of philosophy or values or anything which is going to really help people live a better life because the moment you touch on any of that stuff, you're going to offend huge constituents uh, of the population. So let's say that you want to teach the non-aggression principle. Well, that's going to, uh, you know, then the kid's going to go home and say, Daddy, the initiation of force is wrong, so why do you put on that blue costume and take tax money from people every day? Well, the dad's going to call you up and say, well, you teaching my kid that I'm some kind of criminal? Well, no, teacher wants to go through that. Uh, you start talking about evolution or you start talking about respect for property rights and how that conflicts with some of the existing social structures like the redistribution of wealth. And then you're going to get some kid going home saying to his mom, hey, as a social worker, aren't you involved in the violent theft of people's property to get that? Oh, you know, then they're going to call. So you can't teach anything of value or of interest or substance or truth, uh, relevant truth. You have to teach just these boring inconsequentialities inconsequen inconsequen that offend no one, instruct no one, and motivate no one. And I think that's the greatest tragedy. Of course, and uh, I, I agree with that. I like the way, that I, I like the way you worded that. Um, and I, I'm in favor of more of the Greek style of classroom where you have sort of the, the teacher there as a mentor and the students go off and sort of make their own conclusions and evaluations and try to learn as opposed to being, see, I mean, a lot of kids find it boring because they're sat there with a chalkboard saying, okay, now we're going to do this, and it works like this, and then when you question it, they say, oh, just be quiet now, I just need to finish the lesson. Like, are you really <laughs> interested in, in trying to teach these kids something? Ima sorry, imagine if I tried to teach my daughter how to walk by, by tying her to a chair and walking up and down in front of her saying, it's like this, you see, you balance one leg like this, and you swing your arms a little bit, and no, no, don't get up. I'm teaching you how to walk. You sit there. It's like, well, she's not going to learn how to walk. She's going to learn how to be really annoyed and angry at her dad with good reason. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. Children learn by doing. My, my daughter struggles every day to, to create new concepts, to, to learn new words. Uh, she blows my mind with the stuff she comes up with. There's no homework. There's no uh, tests. There's no pass or fail grades. There's no uh, organized instruction. I mean, I'll talk to her about words and I'll sort of show her. But it's all part of just play and, and exploring the world. That's how we learn. That's how all primates learn. That's how all animals learn. I mean, we turned it into this artificial, sterile, bound to the chair, daydreaming you any other place uh, in God's green earth uh, while someone up there makes unpleasant squeaking noises and bores the living crap out of you uh, with their inconsequentialities. But there's no way, shape, or form you wouldn't train a dog like that. And yet we instruct our children for uh, a decade and a half in this nonsense. The other thing that I think is really, really, really just, just, just I, I can't believe, is that we, 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 we don't understand that that um, you know, if 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 somebody doesn't want to be there, they're not going to learn anything. But you continue to teach them. The other thing is, ah, uh, no, sorry, they will learn something. They will learn that you have to submit to stuff that is repulsive to you, and that that prepares them for a life in a democratic state of society. But anyway, go on. well, they won't learn anything significant or substantial that will help them no. um and the other thing is is you sort of have this 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 overachieving type and i don't know if i'm using the right word but you have all these high school kids competing to get into these best colleges and the only reason that they're studying the only reason they're getting a's on a test is because they want to get into college it's not because they're learning anything it's not because they give a shit it's because they simply need to get the grade i don't care about uh history i don't care about math i don't care about um, science, I just care about getting a grade on the test and studying hard and, and completely stressing 
Why do kids smoke? Well, I'll tell you why they smoke because of that, because of what they have to deal with. And, and, and it's, it's so much put on, you know, so, so much of this pressure is put on them for the grade as opposed to for the knowledge. I'll be honest with you. I completely, you know, when I was in high school, I totally understood a lot of concepts that were out there, a lot of the philosophy, a lot of the history, but I could never get a good, good grade on a test. I just didn't care. I didn't well, no, see, it's worse than that because genuine knowledge is going to get you graded worse than no knowledge. Right, so any any kind of genuine rational knowledge is going to get you downgraded because it's going to go against all of the prejudices of the system. I mean, if you have a patriotic teacher and you bring up some of some of the genuine knowledge about the horrendous inequalities of the early American uh, system and and of course what happened to five million Native Americans killed for land and so on, and I mean, you bring any of that stuff up, any genuine knowledge, and I'm not saying that's the only knowledge, but but or if you have some. Uh, someone who's a complete revisionist historian who's only down and looks at only the negatives of, of the earth and did you bring in some of the positives. If you bring in anything balanced, uh, if you bring a full, rich, rounded perspective, uh, you're going to get marked down. There's no question. I mean, I think we've all experienced that. I certainly experienced that all the way through graduate school. Oh, absolutely. I um, I remember several times, several times getting getting uh, beaten down, not only by a teacher, but by other students, just, you know, my own peers. Yeah, you sorry, you, you 19th century America, you 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 bring some of De Lorenzo's arguments about that the robber barons weren't robber barons and so on and uh you know the government was not saving us from evil monopolies that were exploiting the people or you start talking about some of the positive aspects of the industrial revolution um you just toast. Sorry, I okay. I interrupted you, but I just wanted to mention that. Well, what's funny is is I wasn't even ta I was talking about not invading other countries for political reasons. <laughs> like I mean it just just something like hey, let's not massacre other populations with our CIA and all of a sudden no Iraq was okay they had to, you know and I was like oh, whoa, whoa, what <laughs> like I was just I, I'm advocating human rights really you want to jump down my throat <laughs> yeah and of course uh, if if you start I mean this is the fundamental contradiction within our society that is going to go one way or the other inexorably which is that uh, you teach children that force is wrong you should not try and solve your problems with your fists or pushing you should talk things out and yet the children are never allowed to talk out their differences with the teacher. They're never allowed to bring their own perspectives and preferences to bear on their own education. And their parents sure as hell aren't given a damn bit of choice about whether to fund and what to fund. That is all achieved through force, through violence. And so there's this fundamental contradiction. It doesn't take uh, anybody, uh, anybody over the age of four can figure out that contradiction. And the fact that nobody talks about it is a fundamental aspect of our educational system that it's so fundamentally and inexorably hypocritical in that it teaches helpless children to not use force while powerful adults are legitimate in the use of force and in fact for them to not use force would be wrong to not have public education would be wrong to not use violence in the extraction of money to pay idiots to indoctrinate your children that would be wrong Yet the moment one child uses aggression to get what he wants, that's just wrong. And um, the fact that you can't ever talk about that, that would be the first thing that any intelligent student would notice. And uh, we all know what would happen to a student who brought that up in class. Oh, sure. And, um, and, and of course, it, it also, uh, it's very unfortunate that we can't sort of, okay, what I think is, is important to point out is that there's always a sort of spread multiculturalism, spread acceptance. But the minute that you come out with an idea that doesn't fit into their world of what multiculturalism and acceptance is, you you, you just you're 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 out. You you get you get ostracized because of it. You know you you have to accept everybody, right? But you can't. You know once you come out with something that they don't accept, there's a big problem. Yeah, you, I mean at the moment that you say that not all cultures are equally rational. That the fact that the Western culture has had 2,500 mostly bumpy but not irrelevant years of philosophical thinking is quite different from other cultures which haven't. That the some aggregation of very hard-earned and, hard and bloody wisdom in the Western culture has value relative to other cultures that have not gone through that process. The fact that Christianity went through a fragmentation and then a reformation uh, is significant relative to, say, the Islamic culture, which is not, those are differences that are not, not unimportant. And uh, the moment you bring them up, of course, oh, yeah, you'll get slandered with all kinds of nonsense. And it's unfortunate. You know, and the other thing is that I, I always had a tendency to speak out against religion. I always had a tendency to say, why should I, you know, because it will be multicultural. But I said, why should I respect the irrational? 
Why should I respect something that, that simply does not make sense? And and again, it would be one of those things where, oh no, that's bad. You can't but but they could criticize me for being an atheist all they wanted. Well, of course. I mean, um, I actually read the Bible when I was quite young and I think it was Winston Churchill's son who said this, uh, that there's no greater cure for religiosity than reading the Bible cover to cover. So, I mean, I remember being quite young and, and people saying that you can't criticize, you know, religion, you have to respect religion. It's like, okay, well, what if I said that religious people should be put to death? Would that be bad? Yes. Well, if you read the Old Testament, that's exactly what it says about a wide variety of people, and uh, including me. Uh, who is not a believer, and suddenly you can't talk about that, right? I mean, it's uh, it's you know, it's 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 gross to look at. I mean, so much of exploring the ideas that run society is like you know, kicking over a fish to find the maggots underneath. It's uh, it's hideous. And everybody says well, our society was built on Judeo-Christian principles. Well, that's not quite a society that I want to live in, thanks, because it's full of misogyny. It's full oh, of racism. Our our society. Oh my God, our society has survived only through its rejection of these mad edicts like, you know, kill your child if he questions you, kill sorcerers, kill witches, kill atheists, kill, I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a blood fest, it's a genocide fest, this, this religiosity. Uh, it, it condones slavery, it condones selling your daughters into sexual rape submission. It, it, I mean, it's, it's exactly as you would expect. It's, its ethics are as advanced as its physics and biology. It's exactly what you would expect from an extremely primitive, bloody, patriarchal, hierarchical, violent culture. And uh, the, the idea that, that this modern world has been built on the ethics uh, of, of 5,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago is like saying that the space shuttle has been built on the on the the blueprints of Egyptian hieroglyphics, it's it's complete opposite. Is true. We've only got a culture to, to the degree to which we have managed to to push back uh, the the irrational and uh, aggressions of religiosity. What's funny is prior to the advent of of, of Christianity into Rome, um, under the Emperor Constantine, religion and society was somewhat more advanced. I mean, if you look at the religions of the ancients science, biology, math, those were all things that whenever they discovered something new, like Pythagoras, when he discovered Pythagorean's theorem, it wasn't, oh my God, God is dead. It was, no, now, you know, I'm going to venerate, you know, to because I now have knowledge that I did not previously have. When you find that out in Christian society, kill him now. Um, so I feel as if that we digressed, that we went backwards. We went from having a very, you know, it's, it's, if you look at the Roman Empire from its, you know, at it, what, when the empire was under pagan uh, paganism, Roman, you know, the Roman pantheon, everybody was accepted. All religions were incorporated, and it, it there was a certain cohesion within the empire that didn't exist after the advent of Christianity when people began to kill each other because... Yeah, I mean, of course, at the beginning of, of Rome and all the way through to the Christian era, there was an avenue of temples, and it was like a mall. Right? <laughs> you go up and you sort of, well, you know, which... And so the religions were all... Uh, facing each other, and so there was no particular belief that one religion was perfectly true, because you just, you know, you turn to the other side of the street, and there's some octopus-headed god that you can go and worship if you want, and the same thing is true of other. And and the reason, as you know, the the reason that the Christians were persecuted had nothing to do with their the content of their beliefs. It had to do with the fact that they were incredibly aggressive monotheists who believed that all of the other gods were in fact devils and uh, were trashing uh, both literally and figuratively the uh, the other religions. And that's why they were persecuted because sure. they were causing so much trouble with their monotheism. Oh, it's a huge step backward and that's what the Dark Ages were all about. And then the, the Renaissance and the rediscovery of the ancient Greek philosophers through our good friends the Muslims who kept Aristotle alive through our own terrible Dark Ages. Uh, and the regrowth of of science. I mean, this all had to do with with pushing back this incredibly primitive, uh, you know, the brain sucking parasite of of uh, ancient religiosity and and monotheistic religiosity is very dangerous because it breeds a security in knowledge based only upon a destruction of alternatives, and that is a very dangerous place to be. And that's why I find that you know I, I I don't like it when people lump all religion together because just as all cultures are not philosophically equal, neither are all religions either. Um, so, and and as I said, it's it's you know the Roman Empire made sacrifices to the to 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 the Judeo-Christian God as a sign of goodwill towards the Christians, and basically what the Christians said was "f you." you're still wrong. And they said, well, we're not going to have this. And they decided to start killing them off. So, you know. And oh, I think there's no doubt that the ancient Christians were the terrorists of Rome. I mean, that's how they were perceived. As far as I've read, that's how they were directly perceived by, by, the, uh, by the emperors. 
Sure, and and it's and it's rational because when you have these people going around basically saying that uh, that everything is evil and you're evil and <laughs> and that everything that you believe is evil. I mean, even Constantine knew that that he couldn't because, because I mean, many of his generals and other high high-ranking older patricians in Rome during the time of his conversion, they were pagan, and 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 he knew that like if he tried to force this on them, it wouldn't be good. Because I, you know, I feel as if Constantine already knew like this is not going to be good for my empire. Yeah, I mean, but he was interested in the retention of power, not the pursuit of philosophical truth. And, uh, you know, there's there's so many, there's so much discussion at the moment uh, because the empirical evidence for the success of religion versus the success of science, not to mention the success of the free market. I mean, the verdict is in, the, the jury is not even hung. I mean, it's, uh, it's so obvious the degree to which uh, fr free markets and science has benefited humanity relative to Oh my God! I mean, the the astonishing destruction that has been wreaked by religion over the years, that um, it is it is harder and harder to maintain. I mean, I think I mean the, the statistics seem to be pretty clear that within two or three generations, religion is going to be mostly gone, at least in the West. I mean, as long as we continue to to speak the truth as clearly and as positively as possible, so I consider it to be a pretty fading force, which doesn't mean that it's not pretty intimidating in the here and now. Sure, and and one of the mo one of the biggest things that I'm afraid of is that. These the these same religious fundamentalists like the evangelicals or the Baptists or whoever getting into positions of power that scares me senseless because I and it's not it's not because of reasons they would say like oh that's because you're afraid of God no it's because I'm afraid of of what kind of damage you could do because you're all fucking nuts that well I mean these are people I mean it's a significant percentage at thirty or forty percent of Americans genuinely believe that Christ is going to return in their lifetime and that it's the end of the world. I mean, I assume that these people also have political power. I, I don't really like the idea that people who have access to nuclear weapons believe that the end of the world is nigh. That is not something you'd want on the job description or the resume of somebody applying for that position. <laughs> of course not. And, and, and it's sad because I feel as if these people, first of all, have no respect for the earth and no respect for the things around them because they think that they're going to, you know, there's something else to look forward to anyway and not just something that, you know, and also there's this sort of divine mandate coming down and giving them these power. Well, these powers are invested in me by God, you know, so I can do whatever I want. And it's sad. It's, it, it, it's sad that we're destroying the earth, that we're destroying ourselves, we're destroying our culture because of ideas that faith without reason is not a virtue. It's a vice. It's, oh, yeah. it's not something that's okay. I, well, faith, faith without reason is, is bigotry, I mean, no matter which way you cut it. If I believe blacks are inferior without any evidence, not that there is any evidence, but if I believe that, that's just called bigotry. I mean, it's just bigotry, uh, but of course we have to call it something else when we're talking about religion. Of course. Well, unfortunately, that brings us to the end of the hour. Stefan, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. It's been uh, good. And Everybody go check out freedomainradio.com. That's freedomainradio.com. And when's your call-in show? What time is it again? Uh, we do Sundays at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The instructions are uh, on the website. All right, good stuff. So everybody check that out on Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, coming up next after the break is uh, going to be Adam McCullough from... Republican Liberty Caucus to talk about why Adam Bitterman design, uh, re resigned uh, from his chair of vice president. So, Stefan, thanks again for coming on, and I uh, hope to talk. Thanks, Jacob. It's my pleasure. Have a good night.